Welcome back to Awakening Reformation, where Reformation awakens now. My name is Grant, and joined with me is my beautiful wife, Erica, the Weaker Vessel. Hello, everyone. And also joined with us is Sandra and Scotty Rowlett. Hello. Hey. If you would like to find out more about Awakening Reformation podcasts, we are a part of Rebel Alliance Media. Please go to rebelalliancemedia.com. You will find two other podcasts. We do a church history podcast with our kids, which is meant for families. That comes out on Mondays. And the Rebel podcast with P. Nate and Poots up in Canada. And that comes out on Wednesdays. So go check out those shows. The website also has blog posts, teaching series. So go check it out. Follow us on social media, and subscribe to us where awesome podcasts are found. Boom. We are in the middle of a series called Bite Size Burkoff. We're working our way through the Manual of Christian Doctrine written by the one and only Louis Burkoff. And how's everybody doing tonight? We're doing good. Just hanging out and getting ready to come see you guys. Yeah. Awesome. How are you doing, babe? I'm doing wonderfully. Well, that's awesome. You want to hop into the topic? Well, I was just going to say that something that I've been watching the last couple of days is the uh, what the Rebel Alliance has been putting out on uh, Facebook, the uh, Unpopular Opinion. Yes. Uh, really enjoying that. The one on the uh, theistic evolution uh, compromise. Uh-huh. I found that very informative and uh, really enjoyed that. So what are some other unpopular opinions you want Nate to cover? Does anyone have any ideas? Um... <laughs> Gender roles is probably a good one. I feel like he's kind of done oh. that a lot, though. Sometimes I feel like people in our circles end up talking about the same things a lot. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't fail that every time you talk about it, there are dozens of people who have a huge problem with it. Like, <laughs> no matter how many times Christian leaders talk about sexuality or gender roles or evolution and that kind of thing, there is always pushback, pushback and a huge uproar. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, I guess, you know, going back to uh, gender roles and stuff, uh, uh, when they were talking about the Monty Python prophesized this one. Yeah. Uh, is there, yeah, Ben Emery was on that one. We, that was awesome. That, yes, that is exactly how it is. That was Ben Emery and Chris Poots on that video for Rebel Alliance. Yes. And it was really good. I've never seen that Monty Python movie. The uh, Life of Brian. Life of Brian. But how spot on, though. And those of you who don't know what we're talking about, you should go to Rebel Alliance Media's Facebook page and check it out. <laughs> well, speaking of things that people have completely nailed down, we're going to talk about the Doctrine of the Trinity tonight. Yeah, because it's really easy to talk about the Trinity. <laughs> One of the easiest doctrines in the history of the church. Nobody disagrees about the Trinity. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Oh, almost nobody. Um, the Mormons and us, I mean, we just yep, see yep. eye to eye. Exactly. No difference at all. All right, so obviously I'm kidding. But tonight we find ourselves in on the topic of the Trinity. Yes. So. so the Trinity, the Bible teaches us that one God consists in three persons. This is decidedly a doctrine of special revelation. So if we look back to like the chapters on... God's revelation, we know that special revelation is something that we could only learn 
because God revealed it to us. Right. So we have to have scripture in order to understand the Trinity. Yeah, something not revealed in nature. A doctrine, this is a doctrine that is not revealed in nature and that could not be discovered by human reason. So do you think this is why a lot of people have a hard time trying to describe the Trinity? Because we can't find it in nature? I Yeah, I think you're 100% right. Because there is, there is nothing in our human experience for us to really understand God's nature. You know? There's no clover that we could just use to explain That's away right. the Trinity or an egg or... Nope. Nothing is truly analogous. Mm-hmm. So it remains really difficult. And Burkhoff even expresses that in this little section that it is a mystery of the faith, but it is not something scripture is silent about, though. Yeah. Yeah. I think people like to be able to put things in a, in a box or at least feel like they've put it somewhat in a box. Mm-hmm. And just God in general, they can even do that with just the fact that, well, I have to explain how we were all made. Yeah. You know, or how everybody got here. So if I say God, then that kind of puts that into a box. But yeah. then when you could, when you delve deeper into it and you start talking about the Trinity, they can't put it like in a little box that they can understand somewhat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So it, I think that makes it difficult. So we either, we come up with all these other things of what the Trinity is or analogies or, or whatnot. Yeah. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, question six asks the question, how many persons are there in the Godhead? And the answer is, there are three persons in the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one God, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. So the Westminster Confession backs this up as well. Yep. I can't hear that without hearing the uh, catechism songs right. that, uh, oh, that yeah. we played for our <laughs> kids all the time. Uh, just continually rings in my ear, which is, uh, I guess, a testament to uh, learning catechisms by, by music. It works. into you. Who are the three persons of God? Who are come the come three on. persons? The three persons of God. The Father, the Son, the and, Son the and the Holy Spirit. The three I'm just saying, there's been God. so many music on these, like, Burkhoff episodes. Who would know that Burkhoff would bring us to song? I know, right? <laughs> Little do you know, if you buy this book and start reading it, you will sing for joy. (laughs) I'm not sure you're really selling the book, though. (laughs) And if you hate singing, I'm totally kidding. (laughs) If you just wanted to get into scripture, it, it does that too. Okay, so the statement of the doctrine. So God is one in his essential being, like Westminster kind of talked about that. In this one being, there are three persons called the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These persons are not, like so many persons among men, three entirely separate and distinct individuals. And this is where you kind of had some questions with him where he says they are rather three modes or forms in which the divine essence exists. Now, we know that he later on rejects modalism. So right. he's not advocating for modalism here. So what are, what were you talking about when we were discussing this earlier? Yeah, when I saw Burkhoff mention modes, I kind of, all my heresy red flags went up because yeah. there's the heresy of modalism, which we'll talk about in a second. But what I think Burkhoff is getting at is just that the the divine being, God is one in essence and substance, mm-hmm. but that 
we see from Scripture that that divine essence expresses itself, and I even hate to be so generic, in three different ways. Or like functionalities. Or functions or something. And it's not that that one essence just happens to switch functions, is that there are three. And, man, it is so hard to not just feel like I'm going straight-up heretic when we talk yeah. about the Trinity, you know? But but that each one of those three, quote-unquote, functions or modes are Father, Son, and Spirit. Well, I think he's trying to be very careful when he says things like, they're not three entirely separate and distinct individuals. Right. And because, nope. like, we are not pluralistic. Exactly. So, I think yeah, he's trying to ride that, like, that fine line of... Yeah. There is a distinction between the Godhead, but it still is one God in essence. Yep. And that's where we fall between monotheists and polytheists. Polytheist. And that's where uh, Burkhoff even goes in and says the Father can speak to the Son and can send forth the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So yep. it has the distinction that separate in- entities. Mm-hmm. And connected. Well, in yes. roles. You know, we, we say that all the time in Scripture. There are differing roles. Right. And that is... Very clear, if you are looking at the scope of Scripture, you can see that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit have very separate roles in the Godhead. Yeah. So I think that's what he means by modes. Not, I don't think he's advocating for modalism. Right. Simply that they do have separate, distinct personhoods. Actions. Yeah, personhoods, actions. Yes. Eric. Yeah. There was, there was something you said at one point when we were talking about the Trinity. You were talking about how they're three, they, they're three different, but they're the same. And they never like go against each other. You know, like, do you remember how it was you said that? Cause it was so good, but I can't remember it word for word. I don't remember. I say so many smart things when I'm stuck on an island. <laughs> right. <laughs> Similar to what we're trying to say here is what the Athanasian Creed says about the Trinity. And it's talking about our common faith as Christians. And it says that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super helpful to hear just the way that that's worded. It's really, really good. So we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity. Yeah. So as Scotty was saying, the Father can speak to the Son and can send forth the Holy Spirit. The real mystery of the Trinity consists in that the three persons are one in their essential being. Mm-hmm. And this does not mean that the divine essence is divided among the three persons. So this is where he kind of goes yeah. against partialism. It is holy with all of its perfections in each one of the persons and has no existence outside and apart from the persons. Moreover, the persons are not subordinate, the one to the other, in their essential being. It may be said, however, that in order of existence, the Father is first, the Son second, and the Holy Spirit third. And this order also reflects itself in the work of creation and redemption. So let's break that out a little bit, because there's a lot packed into that. He basically goes in again and says that all three of these are, like, working together to accomplish something, right? Right. So basically he's saying like it's not di- it's not divided his, the divine essence is not divided amongst three persons they're all 100% god they're not like divided up 33.33333% in that the persons are not subordinate the one to the other in their essential being so it's not like one is more important than right. the other now 
you can get really nitpicky here too because Jesus did submit to the Father, to the Father's will. Right. He wasn't like subordinate in his essence. Right. Yeah, Jesus didn't become like a lower god or a lesser god. Right. When he took on human flesh or... And submitted to the Father. Right, and submitted to the Father in fulfilling his mission as the Messiah, and does still today. Yeah. Well, and because they are all one, the plan was all the same for for all of them. Yeah, they weren't, like, working against each other. They each had their own ideas. It was one plan, and they all had different roles in fulfilling it. Yeah, like, Jesus wasn't chiming in to, like, fix the Father's plan that kind of went awry or something like right. that like they were all working exactly. in, they were all working in unison yeah and they do and all even, the time i think i think even like when we think about like when jesus was praying in the garden he said you know if this burden can be taken off me it's not like he was like second guessing yeah he wasn't second guessing his plan was the same as the father's yeah the whole time you know well, and that's why he'd say not my will but your will be done because essentially they were the same will well, yeah, it goes point. back to what we were going over in previous sections is with the attributes of God as far as being absolute, unwavering. Unchanging. Unchanging with, you know, the, the absolute power and authority. Right. I like what he said about this order also reflects itself in the work of creation and redemption. Mm-hmm. So in creation, in the very first chapter of Genesis, you see that... God the Father creates everything, and the power of the Spirit was causing the beginnings of creation to and at work there, because it says the Spirit is hovering over the waters. Mm-hmm. And then we see the Word of God, Jesus, being used as the agent of creation because God said, let there be light. And so in creation, like Burkhoff is pointing out here, we see the Trinity working in unity from the first page of Scripture. It says in Genesis one twenty six. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds in the heavens, over the livestock, over the, all the earth, every creeping thing in the creeks on the earth. It uses the, the plural, let us, in our likeness, the Hebrew word uh, Elohim, El- Elohim, Elohim. <laughs> uh, which is, is the plural and speaking of himself in in the in multiple person. That's right there. Burkhoff also mentions something about the Trinity at work in redemption. And this is something that I learned really clear from Doug Wilson, is that when you see uh, passages like Ephesians chapter 1, I encourage you to go read that and you can see this, that redemption and salvation is that the kingdom of God and God himself is always the destination the Son is the way, and the Spirit is the one bringing it about. And what he, the analogy he uses is that God is the destination, Jesus is the road that we're driving on, and the Spirit is the car that we're in. And so in redemption, we see all three together working, again, in unity to bring about the purposes of God. Mm-hmm. And I, man, the Reformed faith is so Trinitarian in that way, and I really have come to appreciate that when it comes to the Reformed faith, they really emphasize all three persons of mm-hmm. the Trinity. Well, and then Burkhoff goes on to talk about the proof for the Trinity in Scripture, because we never actually do see the word Trinity in Scripture. So, basically, he's trying to defend that there actually is a triune God represented in Scripture, and mm-hmm. we can clearly see it throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And, like, as Scotty went in Genesis, 
and he talked about the pluralistic wording that's used, and then even you and Redemption, you kind of tease that out a little bit. So I don't think we have to spend too much time convincing people that there actually is proof for the Trinity in Scripture. You just have to open your Bible. It's there. It is, yeah. Um, But I do want to talk about some erroneous representations of the Trinity, because I feel like there are a plethora of them, and that they are probably primarily utilized in the Christian church today, more often than not. Yeah. All right, so when we talk about the erroneous views slash heresies about the Trinity, we're going to use different terms than Burkhoff does. Same heresy, just a simpler title. Yeah, so we're going to talk about modalism, partialism, and Arianism, because those are probably the most common. Yeah. And perpetuated through Chances ter- are terrible this is what analogies. you've been taught your whole life. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so modalism. Describe modalism. All right, so modalism is that the divine being takes on different modes and actions at different times. And this is what we see when he's God the Father, he acts this way, and then he switches and he's God the Son, and he does this other thing. And then he switches, and now he's got the Holy Spirit and does different things. He's like a shapeshifter. Pretty much. And the analogy that most people use to describe the Trinity that lands them in this camp is when they say something like, the Trinity is like a guy who is a father, and so he has a father hat, and he has he's a husband, so he has a husband hat. And then he has a hat that's for the company he works at. And so he's, and he just puts on a different hat and acts differently for those three different parts of his life. Mm-hmm. But that's modalism. Patrick. But it's a heresy because it's three persons. It's not one shape-shifting like Eric said. Okay, so second one then would be... Partialism. Partialism. And this is the three-leaf clover analogy that a lot of people use. It's just that... The divine essence is kind of split into three different parts. 33.33333. Right. And again, that would break down the divine essence and just be illogical, honestly, mm-hmm. for what we see in scripture, what the divine essence is. So that yep. would be partialism, is that this part of God or that part of God. Yep. Third heresy for the win. So the third heresy, Arianism, is what is described by people sometimes by the sun and how the sun emits light and heat. And Arius was one who believed that Jesus was like God, Mm -hmm. but he actually wasn't exactly one in substance with the Father. And so... And Arius is who St. Nick punched in the face, right? Yeah, definitely. So this Punch. is a perfect message for Christmas. Merry Christmas. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> this that, is true. That kind of fits in there with the... And so that's usually the analogy I've heard used, but it falls into the heresy of Arianism, which pretty much ends up denying the deity of Jesus yeah. and the Holy Spirit, and is kind of what falls into the camp of the eternal functional subordination. And I know I may get into some hot water for saying that. Yeah, but I agree, though. Well, and also I, it would strip the immutability of God as well. Yeah, it's true. I think the simplicity, too. Anyway, anyway. There's, there's so many other doctrines of God that, that really go wonky, depending on how you view the Trinity. But 
So just don't don't yeah. do heresy, kids. <laughs> just say no to heresy. That's right. Anyway, <laughs> so the three persons considered separately. So now Burkhoff is going to break these down into the father, describe the father a little bit, the son and his functionality, and then as well for the Holy Spirit. So the father, the name father as applied to God is not always used in the same sense in scripture. It may denote the triune God as the origin of all created things, Mm -hmm. as the father of the chosen nation of Israel. So covenantally. mm -hmm, And as the father of believers as his spiritual children. In a far more fundamental sense, however, the name is applied to the person, the first person in the Trinity in his relation to the second person. Yeah. Yeah, and we see that relationship specifically in the Lord's Prayer, Mm -hmm. and also in John 17, when Jesus prays his high priestly prayer, he's speaking to God the Father. So you can see that there. You Mm -hmm. can see that relationship Burkhoff is talking about there. So the distinctive property of the Father is that he generates the Son from all eternity. Mm-hmm. Certain works are ascribed particularly to the Father, though the other persons also participate in them, such as the planning of the work of redemption, the yep. works of creation and providence, and the work of representing the Trinity in the Council of Redemption. Yep. The second person of the Trinity is called the Son, or Son of God. His name is not always applied to him in the same sense, but he is called the Son because of his eternal generation by the Father. Um, we see this in John one fourteen and in Galatians four four and several other places. He also bears that name as the incarnate Son of God in an official sense to designate him as the Messiah chosen of God. And we also see that in several places. And Burkhoff mentions those places as he goes through it, and he says at least in one passage, in virtue of the fact that at his birth. He was begotten by the special operation of the Holy Spirit. Obviously, we can see that in Luke 1. Merry Christmas, you guys. Boom. Tis the season. And lastly, uh, the Holy Spirit. With the uh, personality of the Holy Spirit, um, some sections would say that it's like an essence. Some of the uh, Arminian would fall within that group. But it very distinctly has a personality. Um, it performs acts proper to personalities, uh, as Burkhoff gets into, uh, yeah. such as speaking, searching, mm-hmm. testifying, commanding, revealing, striving, and making intercession. Yep. Which I think is a, is a defining feature of, of the Holy Spirit, um, because it, it's showing that same authority as God. As exactly as the Son. Yep. And we can grieve the Holy Spirit, Ephesians says. Yes. Yeah. So that obviously shows us a personality. It's not a whimsical force. Yeah, which is what, like you said, a lot of the Armenians and just other, I think, probably well-meaning Christians who just don't think much into the Trinity probably would view the Holy Spirit as just like the power of God, not necessarily a person of God, just like his magical powers. Right. Like God the Father is the static essence of God, and then whenever he moves... The Holy Spirit is like his dynamic essence or something. Yeah. It's uh, it's just like your uh, favorite song, uh, This is the Air We Breathe. Stop it. <laughs> so, Scotty, give us, that, give us that golden example of the Trinity. What's the final nail in the coffin? Boom. Just uh, 
going ahead and sticking a fork in it. Uh, that was Thanksgiving. We, it's Christmas, Scotty. <laughs> Sorry, go on. Hey, we we eat ham, we eat turkey. Oh, sure, we're eating okay. a turkey. All right, so uh, Luke three twenty one uh, goes into now when all the people were baptized, and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The hat trick right there. You have, which our Canadian friends will uh, like that. Uh, <laughs> That's awesome. You have the trifecta all in one location, out from beyond the veil for all to see. Yeah. Kind of puts an end to, oh, they're the same, just wearing a different hat. No, they're distinct three, but also holy one. And all able to function at the same time separately. Mm-hmm. Yep, gotcha. But with the same focus. Yep. And at the same time. Yep. Boom. Knowledge bomb. Wrap us up and we can be done with that episode, which All was right. 45 minutes long. That's not so bite-sized. I hope you enjoyed this not-so-bite-sized bit of Burkoff today. It was a bigger bite of Burkoff. Yeah, it's a big bite. It's Christmas, so we wanted to gift you with a little bit more this time. It's a little bit more of a feast. That's right. It's a time for feasting. So, anyway, we hope you enjoyed it and learned something and that it was edifying. We pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened by the power of the Spirit. And until next time, get woke. Merry Christmas! And a happy new year. Yeah. Let's start with the microphone check. One, two, first. Water to the dry and weary soul of the true church. The kind of things that few search. They say that the truth hurts. Well, this pain is gain, so let's explain the new birth. First things first, can't neglect this at the start. I must preface my remarks with the deadness of the heart. From original sin, the effects of the fall. The sin of our first parents brought death to us all. Since Adam was our federal head, what he did counted for us. In him were all rebels and dead. Yo, captured in the mind, disaster, sin and crimes in a Dark state, Alaska in the winter time, sour in our frames. Left to ourselves, we be devoured in the flames. Cause we're powerless to change. If you feel that way, I pray that you respond happily. As you see what Jesus had to say in John chapter 3.